Welcome back to the second season of Insemination. My name is Laura High, your chaotic sperm donor baby of the podcast world. We are starting off with a bang. Our next guest, Devin Schumann, who is a genetic counselor. Devin is going to be walking us through why the fertility industry is promoting ableism and eugenics. So grab your coffee because this is a big, important episode. Also, I'm very happy to announce that my first piece of merch is out. We have just come out with this t-shirt, It Sucks When the Evidence Can Talk, which is a line that I love to say a lot because it is very true about donor-conceived people. This is available on all of my social media, at Laura High 5. Please get your shirt within the next 30 days because right now, all proceeds, all proceeds from these shirts are going to be going to an upcoming donor-conceived event that is incredibly important and we need to try and get as many donor-conceived people there. So buy your shirt and help the donor-conceived community. We will have more details about that event coming up soon, and potentially you may be able to be there to help support. Also, I've got so many amazing upcoming shows. Please check out my website, www.laurahigh5.com, to see if I am performing in a town near you. But I don't want to waste any more of your time. Let's get to the episode, so grab a drink and let's get started. Welcome to the podcast, Devin. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I am so excited to talk with you. Um, but before we actually get to the meat of the episode, I need you to show everybody the blanket behind you because it is the cutest thing in the world. It's little. It's like a throw blanket with chromosomes on it. I have it to hide my chair that is a little bit past its due date in terms of being well, but like you can't tell because there's a cute blanket, so it's okay. But the, the blanket is a perfect Band-Aid. I love it. And I see uh, you have mitochondria uh, pillows behind you. I do. Plushies off of Etsy, Fresh Crayon Store. Shout out to the amazing girl who makes them. I, I, don't, I don't think there's anything better than giant plushies of random things that you learned about, like, in high school. Like, I think that's just the epitome of being an adult, is being able to afford to buy yourself that stuff. I really love that this is, like, a, a new take that, like, our... Because you're a millennial, right? Yep. Yeah, this is like a new trend that like we're starting of like, no, I'm going to buy the shit that uh, was not bought for me as a child. I am going to be reliving that childhood joy and filling in those holes. I love this trend and I love the yep. mitochondria and I love they're so happy. They're happy mitochondria. Right. And she made she made the two normal ones. And then I was like, how about a prideochondria? As we should. Rainbow science nerd stuff. And she mm -hmm. was like, oh, challenge accepted. So. Now, is there a is there a reason that you picked like uh, mitochondria over like nucleus? Yeah. So for me, I we didn't really do my background, but I'm Devin. I'm a genetic counselor, and I have a genetic condition called mitochondrial disease. So for me, mitochondria are not just like what you learned in high school biology, but they have a huge impact on my life. And so, why not make it a fun impact instead of just a medical term, but more of an identity. And I have so much mitochondria stuff in my house. It's not even funny. I have like seven different earrings, a couple necklaces. It's bad and wonderful all at the same time. Well, if you don't mind me asking, what yeah. is a mitochondrial uh, disease? Like what, what does that entail? Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people, they remember high school biology class, <laughs> right? Mitochondria are the powerhouse, powerhouse of the cell. cell. The yes. You learned in biology, mm -hmm. right? So essentially a mitochondrial disease is a condition that causes the little powerhouse to not work the way it should. Mm. And so it really can run the gamut. There's all different forms of it. There's all different type of symptoms because the mitochondria 
are in every cell in our body pretty much. And so you can have symptoms from usually the stuff like chronic fatigue and muscle weakness, which makes sense, things that take energy, yeah. but the heart takes energy, the GI system, the brain, the liver. So pretty much it's like a hodgepodge. You can pick what you want and everyone has a slightly different flavor of it, but it comes down to just boiling down to you don't have enough energy for your daily life stuff. And so then your okay. body creates havoc because of it. And you take lots of naps, which works for me. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you. I appreciate that. And let's I'd love to talk about you as a genetic counselor. So what do you what do you do as a genetic counselor? Yeah, so genetic counselors are something that most people have actually never heard of, kind of like mitochondrial disease. And so what we do is I joke it comes down to being a medical jargon translator, a professional Googler, and an emotion validator. But like the official way that they define it is our job is to help people understand genetics. What are the different factors that go into how something's inherited? What in your family history could have a genetic component? What tests exist out there? And how do you figure out for yourself what's the best answer for you? Do you want to do it or not? How do you make an informed decision? And just kind of understanding how genetics impacts your life. And it really, again, there's a whole spectrum. You can do prenatal, pediatrics, adults, cardio, preconception. You can even work in public health or work for insurance companies. You can do a lot with the degree. But mostly I just talk to a bunch of strangers on Zoom all day long about really personal details in their life and draw out their family tree and get to hear about all of their drama while I'm trying to look for the medical details. Oh, my God. Oh, so you get all the genetic tea. Yeah. So much. And so many people feel bad for sharing it. They're like, well, uh, I mean, I shouldn't say that, but blah, blah, blah. Ooh. And I'm just like, no, that's normal. Like everybody is just oversharing. Just don't feel bad. Just keep going. Yeah. But. Oh, I mean, every, everyone's everyone's got everyone's got some. I would say everybody's tree is unique and everybody has stuff in their tree that I would say probably doesn't fit what we would consider conventional. Yeah. And there's always somebody in the family that you don't like. And there's always yeah. somebody that you don't talk to. And like, mm -hmm. that's every family. Yeah. So I just get to know people very quickly and ask them a lot of personal details and try not to make them feel bad while I do it and try to make them go, no, 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 that's okay. Emotion validate and move on. I love that. Um, And then what? where did you get your training from? Yeah, so it's actually a master's degree in genetic counseling. So you get an undergrad. Mine was in psychology from Smith College in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And then you do a two-year master's program on just genetic counseling, trying to learn everything you can about genetics in 20 months. And for that, I went to UC Irvine in Southern California. Didn't want to do the land of the snow again. I was like, let me go do some SoCal life for a couple of years. I, as somebody, I went to college in Rochester, New York. Um, yeah. And I was just like, and I am done with snow. Thank you so much. Bye. Yep, this that was, was me after four years of undergrad. I was like, this is lovely. I have some photos. Yes. I'm going to pick something a little different moving forward. So. Yeah. I was like, mm -mm, we're, we're, we, we did this. I mean, I live in New York City. We still deal with snow, but it ain't, it is not Rochester snow. That is of a whole different caliber. That is snow on steroids. Yeah, no, I luckily have not had to deal with that yet in my life. And 
I'm okay with that. I currently live outside Seattle, Washington, where if it snows, the whole shitty shuts down for like a week. I and love you watch Seattle. the buses fly down from the big hills. I love Seattle. I have not done a stand-up show yet in Seattle. So if there's anybody listening who does book shows in Seattle, know that I want to come out there with every fiber of my being. Please book me for a Seattle show. Oh my God, I want to come out. Um, so what I would love to to sort of uh, pivot to, and the reason I, I had you come on this show is you recently wrote an, an article, a uh, post. Um, well, how would you describe it? We just call it a blog post, but yeah. You wrote a blog just, post that... Maybe a little too long to be a blog post. Well, I, I'm going to say, I, I'll, I'll call it, it it's, yeah, it's a fan, it was a fun article. Um, and it hit me so deep in my soul. And I was so happy that especially a genetic counselor wrote this. But you were essentially breaking down why ASRM, the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, is promoting ableism. And I and for anybody who who's new to the podcast and doesn't doesn't know what ASRM is, ASRM is what uh, constitutes all of the guidelines for the clinics and cryobanks to follow. Not regulations, not regulations, but guidelines. Um, and a lot of their guidelines are absolutely ableist. And I had to get you on the podcast immediately when I read this because it was like, let's let's break this down because the infer the fertility industry is incredibly ableist when you kind of like take a step back and look at it. And I would love to in this podcast break that down with you. Um, so but let's start at the beginning, because obviously we're talking about ableism. We're talking about we're going to be talking about eugenics. And so this is a very controversial. It's a dark subject with a very, very dark history. So let's start from square one of what is eugenics and what is ableism? Yes. So ableism is a term that a lot of people haven't heard of. Like most people have heard of racism, sexism. Ableism is that same category, but it has to do with how you approach people with disabilities or disabled people. And so being ableist is being discriminatory or being biased against those with disabilities or health conditions, et cetera. And so it's a lot more ingrained in society than I think people realize because people just don't talk about it. But as someone who's a disabled genetic counselor, I view it as my jo job to stand on that soapbox and shout about it at the top of my lungs because it is a huge part of the medical industry that we kind of view as like, oh, but that's that's okay because we're trying to help those people with disabilities mm. by treating them with kid gloves or being biased against them and not supporting them the ways that we should. That's more of kind of like your everyday brand of what we're talking about. I think eugenics is taking ableism to a whole new level. Before we and with eugenics. Before yeah. we move on to eugenics, can you give a example of I'm, I'm, I hope I'm using the right words, systemic ableism, because you are right. Ableism is so built into our society. And I think I would say the majority of the population don't really know what what can you give an example of like everyday ableism that just. We, we don't clock as ableism. Yeah, I mean, I would say that one of the most common ways that I experience ableism is someone with an energy disorder is society's focus on you all being a productive member of society. And that, you know, there's signs in all hospitals I work 
that are essentially shaming people for taking the elevators instead of the stairs because you have to set a healthy example for the patients. And mm. that's ableist because I can't do the stairs as easily. And it's not that I'm being lazy. It's not that yeah. I'm setting a bad example. That elevators are an amazing accommodation I need in my life to make it easier to do my job. That's a very common form of it is just our obsession with quote unquote health and being fit and doing things the harder way. Hike that mountain yourself with a 20 pound backpack on. Those even those little things are an example that I think of first because that's what I encounter when I work in hospitals. I'm just going to work every day. Yeah, th this um, this obsession with put, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and taking away the community aspect. Yeah, or there's something wrong with you if you're on disability and you're not productive yeah. contributing towards society, you're inherently bad or that we need to make sure you're not abusing the system. Mm. There is a lot of ableism in that because yeah. you can be a, someone who's contributing to society even if you're not doing it in a money format. Absolutely. Thank you. I appreciate that. I wanted to just make sure that like all of my listeners who are like, this is a newer, I would say a new, newer concept uh, for them just to make sure that like, just so that we can all start kind of getting our heads sort of like churning in that direction. So we can all kind of take part yeah. and start really recognizing and looking for those things. So then, yeah. so that's ableism. Now, what is eugenics? Eugenics, the most simple definition is selective reproduction or breeding for the embetterment of the race or the next generation, i.e. using having babies to make the next generation, quote unquote, better. That is at the base of what eugenics is. Now, I've always had the understanding that eugenics requires like a systematic um it, it, it's not just like a a person. It is like a, an industry. It's a system, a government. Like it, it isn't just a couple of like just random like people. Like this is, it, it does require. I'm gonna say um some I I don't know what the right word is authority of some sort. I see what you're saying. Yeah, it's a policy. It's yes, a, it's something a position. Yep. Yeah, and I think that's where most people draw the line, right? Because. Technically, if you take that definition of eugenics, using reproduction to make a better generation, we might be like, hey, every little personal decision we make when we find a cute partner could fall under that umbrella. So we had to kind of, I think people had to decide, where do we draw that line? When are we like, oh, this is eugenics. And for most people, that's the line. It's a policy. It's a societal norm. Mm. It's a government law. It's telling someone that you should be doing this or you can't do other things. Mm. That's, okay. I think, where that line gets drawn. So then with that, could you kind of give us like a little bit of a, of a history of eugenics, of yeah. like where that has happened um, in global history and, you know, talking, certainly we're, we're talking about the United States. So, you know, also yeah. in the United States history. Yeah, I think a lot of people, when we hear the word eugenics, our brain goes to the big world moments, like Nazi Germany and yeah. the Holocaust. That's where we all, I think mm -hmm. a lot of us, that's where eugenics starts in our brain. It starts with that example. Yeah. But there was a lot that led up to that example in history and the United States is actually the group of people that 
really took the concept of eugenics, which was first founded in Europe. It came here. It blossomed. It became the norm in our society. America. In the 1920s through the 70s. Yep. It was it was the everyday, this is what it means to be American, to help the strength of the nation, eugenics. And then we went to Germany and we taught them our ways. And we talked about how great it was that they're taking on what we've taught them. Until we suddenly were like, never mind, we are not associated with what happened there. Yeah. But to back it up, like, let's go to the 1920s, right? Yeah. What did every day look like? If you went to a state fair, for example, right? Local country fair, having fun, eating your popcorn, having your cotton candy. I don't know if that's what they had in the 20s, but I'm going with it. Well, we'll you, you, you would see. Let's go with it. Right? Let's go with it. What they had is they would have better baby competitions and fitter family ones. Kind of like you bring your pig to the county fair. You could bring your tiny human to the county fair to show off what a beautiful specimen they am or your whole family and the traits they looked for. Is it a big family? Are they blonde and blue-eyed and pretty? Are they genuine? Are oh, they God. generous? Are they well-educated? That was the normal approach. And then on the flip side of oh, that, Devin, we were having... I'm, it's like, yeah, we're, we're recording it's, it's this episode at that. like noon and I'm like, oh shit, is it too early to drink? That, oh God, that's gross. I, I just yeah. want to give all of my followers a second to like digest yeah. what you just said because I know that I need a moment of like, oh my God. Yeah, you, you treat your family like you treat the zucchini squash that you're bringing in to show off surprise family pig or your daughter you know i mean yeah it's not a good look no i mean it really just tells you where society was at that point what the values were how they how they looked at humans and it's just it's it's a you, you, oh my god okay i apologize that i interrupted yeah, you but no. it was just like god i needed no. a moment to digest that one okay uh, please well and i think it's it's hard because for me i've learned about this stuff for years but for most people they've never heard of this before and so it is yeah. you might read past that without pausing but then you think about it and yeah. you're like oh so we gave that person's baby a gold star and we gave the other baby not one and that's that that is getting into those feels of just this is sketchy and wrong and yeah it's not a it's not a good place it's not something that i think if we tried to do that in an elementary school today people would get real mad real fast yeah that's not that's not okay yeah very opposite of the participation trophy approach to life right like your baby has the good genes you're the future of america yeah yeah, it's 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 not great. And that was kind of the honestly the best side of eugenics at that time. That oh the, god, the, the that was the better it. side of eugenics at that time. That that was oh no, that that's okay. So then let's let's so go, go to from this the state fair. Let's say the then you go to the hundred and fiftieth anniversary of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Eugenics, Society of Eugenics had a booth there. That literally had one of those like tickers that said every 48 seconds, an undesirable or defective baby is born, while every 7.5 minutes, a high grade person is born. 
to highlight the need for eugenics in America. That was at our celebration fair. What? Yeah. That was, it was so normal back then. Eugenics was part of the daily discourse. That they were like, we need to raise awareness for all of these quote unquote defective people popping out babies quicker than the highborn people. I mean, it was bad and it was normal. Oh my God. Oh my. And so when you think about that being society, I think then when you hear about like the American sterilization laws that they had, where you suddenly are like, oh, that's maybe not this law that popped up out of nowhere and was an extreme weird thing. That suddenly fits into this daily society people are living in. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um. My God. Oh. And okay. It, it, it gets better. I mean, okay. it doesn't. But okay. If you if you look at these. If you look at these sterilization laws, right? Yeah. They were around mostly from the 1920s to the 1970s. Though California was still getting yelled at for sterilizing female inmates against their consent up until the 2000s. Are you serious? So this is not, this oh is not all history. Oh, 150 Jesus. women were sterilized from 2006 to 2010 in the California penal system. But if you That's go horrific. back to California in the 1920s to 70s, they sterilized over 20,000 people. And the way that they they decided who should be, they wanted to make sure that if you were alcoholic, so they said if you had alcoholism, if you were feeble-minded, which back then included not just lower IQ, but obsessively interested in sex, or poverty or homelessness when under feeble-minded, if you were epileptic, if you had criminality, those were all criteria. And before we sterilized people, they actually put them in state institutions with the explicit guidelines of wanting to lock them away during their reproductive years so they wouldn't create more burdens on society. And when that got too expensive, we just started sterilizing all those people because that's cheaper. And that was considered the norm then to protect the next generation of Americans. Like, that was America. And we were the pioneers in this race in betterment, locking out immigrants from bad parts of the rest of the world sterilizing the people that were here, putting them in state institutions for things like having children out of wedlock too many times. And then we brought all of those ideals to Germany. The California eugenic leaders, the Rockefellers, who were involved in this, by the way, they funded some of the first eugenic movements in Germany. They were American-funded. And they bragged about how awesome the Nazi party was in their embracing of these ideals. 
I mean, they definitely backtracked that later, but yeah. before they saw where this was going to go, Americans, we were proud. I say the royal we there. I am not proud. No, I, under, I understand. We were teaching other people. Yeah. Like, that's, that's eugenics in America. It's not a paragraph in your textbook about Europe or Germany. It's sterilizing 40% of Native American women in this country, a third of women in Puerto Rico. That's our history. Yeah. It's bad. I, I knew pieces of what you were saying, but I, I, there, there was a lot of information that I was, I was missing. Um, oh, my God. We don't talk about it because it's not a good look. It definitely takes right? a bit of the shine off of the Star Spangled Banner, that's for sure. I mean, when we talk about the current fight right now over yeah. American history textbooks, which would be its whole old podcast. Of course. That that debate is coming down to stuff like this. People yeah. not wanting to reckon with the very negative parts of our past that, to be honest, is still influencing us today. Yeah. And it's not like we were like, oh, no, we no longer associated with this, so it's over. People who lived through this and wrote articles and competed in better baby competitions, they're still alive. Yeah. The doctors that voted to make these policies and to start these hospitals, they're still practicing. That was only 50 years ago. A lot of doctors practice into their 60s, 70s, and 80s. That could still be your doctor. Hopefully they've reevaluated their priorities since then. But I mean, how long does it take for policies, new ones to get written? Yeah. And to change the fundamentals of our society and our laws? That stuff is all still there. Some of these laws still exist where you can sterilize people. Could you elaborate on that a little much, bit more? But, so example, like California. There are still laws in California, Virginia, these other states that say evil-minded, quote-unquote, people shouldn't get married. Connecticut had a law that said that. You are still allowed to sterilize people that are under the, the protection, quote-unquote, of the state. Who, or the state is responsible for them, so prisoners, people under people with intellectual disabilities, when they went to court over these cases, it wasn't that they struck down the sterilization laws, it's that they struck down who they were applied to. That was the court case in the 2000s of like, you were applying it unnecessarily, not that it should never happen at all. There was one United States court law, Buck v. Bell, that was the case study Virginia made where they took a woman who they labeled epileptic, even though she'd never had a seizure, because her mom was feeble-minded because she had children out of wedlocks, so was in an institution. The daughter was adopted by a couple. The husband was a police officer. When she got assaulted by their nephew, they put her in a state facility for the feeble-minded, and then they had her baby declared that as well, so they didn't have to take care of it. And that was the test case that the Supreme Court said, three generations of imbeciles is enough. It's legal 
to sterilize people in these scenarios for the benefit of society, that law's still out there. It still gets cited. It's still in our history textbooks, but also in current law practice. We haven't got rid of it yet. That's, we, we overturn a lot of bad laws, right? Like yeah. there's a lot of things we have. That's not one of them though. That's We haven't reckoned with that history. That is vile. It is. And I mean, it's obvious it's vile. Yeah. In the trials for the Nazi leadership, they cited it to defend their actions. And that wasn't enough for America to be like, all right, let's get rid of this law. Like they cited us as their justification. No, we still have it. Like, it's bad. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because we just don't want to talk about it or if it's because some people are still like, well, it has its place. I honestly don't know. That's something I think we have to answer as a society. I mean, I, I, I still very much think that there is a lot of ableism that is in our day-to-day conversation that we just sort of, and, and that ableism can lead to, I would say, a, a light eugenics, if that's, if, if that's, that's the proper terminology. Yeah. Or, and, I, and I do think that there is so much ableism that just we don't clock as a society. Yeah. Um, and I would say, to me, it comes down to like private personal decisions. And again, that policy societal. Yeah. Looking back at those societal decisions, we're like, nope, those were bad. Yeah. I think most people can clearly say no thank you yeah. to all of that. But like you said, if you're talking about let's go with who you're dating, right? And you're like, ooh, I'd make cute babies with that one. Or I want to have a partner who's really smart because I struggled in school and I want my kids to have a better shot at life. I mean, that's eugenics light. That is saying things that are talking about the betterment of the race. And there are still many religions that believe it's part of their duty to have many, many, many children to help populate the quote unquote good people. That is, again, technically falling under eugenics. The quiverful but movement. I also think, exactly. Quiverful. Yeah. That's exactly who I was thinking of. I was just blanking on the name. Would you (laughs) mind explaining what the Quiverful movement is for anyone who is like, what does that mean? If you Google it, you'll find a whole lot of interesting things. Yeah. But I guess the short version is it's a, a subset of Christianity where people believe it is part of your duty or your role in life, in your worship of your relationship with God to create more babies, i.e. to make like a quiver, which is like one of, I don't know, the thing that you carry on your back when you shoot a bow and arrow where you mm-hmm. keep all the arrows, to make a lot of those arrow, arrows, aka children, for to be a champion of God, to help promote your religion and to fight in the battle for good, essentially, yeah. is my understanding. Make as many Christian soldiers as you possibly can so that you are quiver full. Well, I would love to thank you for for really giving us like kind of walking all of us through the history. What I would love to pivot to now is talking about why we are claiming that the fertility industry is ableist, um, talking about their history of eugenics 
and things that, and I, I would say really giving a different perspective to the recipient parents as to why this industry is ableist, because I think a lot of people are, that, that, would, that, that will give a lot of people pause going like, how is it ableist? I don't understand. Yeah. So ASRM, right? Mm -hmm. If we take their guidelines for donors, I think most people are like, hey, it's a medical guideline. It's some good tips and tricks that help to make things safer for everyone or make more optimal outcomes. And sure, there are some very important safety things in there, like screening donors for HIV. Absolutely. Right? Safe. We can all agree that's a good thing. But when you start to think about, let's go back in American history, better baby competitions. Mm -hmm. And then you look at donor profiles. Yeah. A lot of those feature baby photos and a list of their positive traits and their personality score and their GPA and their family tree. Is it not essentially better baby and fitter family competitions just in a different wrapping paper with a bow on top? I mean, they deny donors um, who are don't have a college degree constantly. Yep. Um, if you are uh, uh, under six foot or 5'11", nope, can't be a donor. Um, if you your mom was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, nope. Yep. I mean, it's essentially just a new spin on the same thing. Mm -hmm. But we're okay with it suddenly because hey it's fun to look through all the different donors and picture your kids and yeah i mean i'm not going to say that you know find joy in this process you are creating a human i think all families should find joy where they can in that but i think it's you have to take a real lens to that and go ooh maybe this isn't great and again i don't think i'd ever tell like let's say your best friend is like i need to use a sperm donor right i don't think you'd ever tell your best friend like Oh, you're a horrible person no. because you personally want someone who was tall or went to college. You'd be like, girl, you do you. It's your baby. Do what you want, right? But these aren't personal decisions. These are guidelines. These are policies. Yeah. These are published. This is what you should be doing. And yeah. more importantly, what you shouldn't be doing. Yes. I don't think anyone takes the time to read these, right? Because like you were saying, if you're not tall, if you didn't graduate college, not that all of them are even checking some of those details, but that's a different story. But here are the different things medically that you can't do. Mm -hmm. If you have a medical condition, quote unquote, that significantly impacts your quality of life, like taking lifelong medications, requiring frequent medical visits, and they list diabetes as an example. About 10% of Americans have diabetes these days, statistically speaking. So we're already taking 10% of America and going, nope, you can't make a baby in this regard, right? Like that's not a small percentage of people. Maybe they get around it because they get donors when they're nice and young and haven't developed it yet. But does that mean that they're not going to develop it later? And now we've given you this false sense of security, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. You can't have ADHD that's significant, quote unquote. Who's deciding that? Yeah. As a genetic counselor that's talked to donors and taken their history down, 
I've had to put, do they meet ASRM guidelines or not in a clinic note? We all were looking at each other at work being like, how do y'all define major impact for ADHD? Yeah. And I we mean, all came to the conclusion of we can't. Yeah. We're that's very subjective. I'm not qualified to tell you if your ADHD <sighs> is severe. Like, yeah. Seriously? ADHD is common. It's normal. Yeah. So mental health conditions. But you can't donate if you're on mental health meds or if someone else in your family has cerebral palsy or a seizure or a birth defect or miscarriages. Or if we get really sketchier, like for the HIV protection, if you've had sex with a man who's had sex with other men in five years, if you've been in jail overnight in the last year, if you've had a tattoo that might not have been done in sterile conditions, if you've had sex in exchange for money, is this not sounding like the exact same criteria of when we used to sterilize people in American history? I mean, it's not that different sounding. They just say it's for people's protection, even though we do screen for all of things like HIV five different ways during the process. Like, yeah. it's not like we're not covering that basis. And to to add to it, because right now we're talking about it from an ableistic um, standpoint, only 5% of donors right now in the United States are black. Uh, last year, there was an article, uh, it came out from the Washington Post in 2022, talking about how at that time it was only 2% of donors are black. The, and there was like, you know, they, they talked about it from a lot of different standpoints and saying like, well, it, it stems from the fact that, you know, this community just has does has a distrust for the medical community, which is like, let's be honest, that is understandable, given the history of what we have done to that community. But two percent, five percent bullshit. That is not that is not just a mistrust. Yeah. And we've had plenty of donors come forward. Uh, who are a, who are a person of color, and they said, "I am conventionally healthy. I I hit all of the ASRM guidelines. Why wasn't I chosen?" And we've heard that enough from people of color, and yeah. recipient parents of color have had a hell of a time trying to find a donor that matches their ancestral yeah. background. Um, or, and sometimes they have not been able to find one at all, so they end up having to use a white donor. What does that sound like? And there have been so many recipient parents of color who have come forward saying that they're who um, who have been able to find a donor of color that does match their ancestral background. But they have said, why does my donor cost more than its white counterpart? Yeah. So there is like so. So not so we're not just ableist. We're also hell of a racist. Yeah, no, it's it is absurd, especially when you add in things like. If you've spent a night in jail in the last year, mm-hmm. well, look at America and who we arrest. Yeah. That is a way to screen out people. It's not like simply spending a night in jail magically means that you have now HIV or something that could actually affect this. No, that is just pure bias you as can, far as I'm concerned. The amount of stuff you can spend a night in jail for just the, the pettiest of pettiest things. Yeah. Yeah. And again, not having the resources to bail yourself out quickly enough. Yeah being targeted by police. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's absurd that that is a criteria here. And some of the criteria are also that you can't have routine exposure to people who don't meet these criteria, i.e. share common spaces with them. 
So not only can you have somehow managed to dodge all the racism and bigotry in America, you better not live with someone who hasn't because then you're also disqualified. But this has nothing to do with eugenics. Like, come on. It it absolutely it's it's repackaged the better baby contest in just as you said, it's it's just repackaged in a different format. And more and more people are using donor conception every single year. And uh, this is this is a huge problem. And the fact that there isn't any kind of anti-discrimination laws protecting donors, uh, protecting recipient parents, um, I I think is absolutely horrific because it essentially is because I mean, so you have the ASRM guidelines and then but it's, it's guidelines, not regulations. So at the end of the day, it is banks. It's just some people in the back room deciding who and who they who and who they do not want to procreate. It is literally them. And I challenge everybody. I please ask everybody go to a cryobanks active donor catalog. Check them all out and look at the lack of diversity. It's this is so easy to check out. They list race. They list ethnicity. They they list all of it. Go look at it for yourself. You want to be really upset? Look at Seattle Sperm Bank and how they categorize race. It gets me every time I see one of their profiles because at the very top, right, it has like the date of birth, when they did it, the basics, Mm -hmm. and then it has the little racial boxes. And it says Caucasian, not slash white, just Caucasian. Then it goes black slash black, Asian slash yellow, other slash red. Like, let's just pretend that we somehow didn't know the racial history of calling Asians yellow? Like, that's a very well-documented derogatory approach. Uh, And it's still in 2021, 2023, on their profiles. That is what's getting sent to these families. That is part of this child's permanent record forever. Oh, my God. Um, For anybody who is listening and you do want to see that, we are showing a screenshot of it right now on the YouTube video. So if you do want to see it, it's right there for you. Yeah. And they don't even have the decency to put Caucasian slash white. It's just like, well, we all know those are white people. Everyone else we have to clarify. I've heard... I've heard of multiple cryobanks doing this where they, they have different cap colors for, like, different races. And it's just like, guys, guys, we, we know what this is. We, 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 can, we can see what you're doing. This is disgusting. And then you want and then you come back at us. And what upsets me is they're like, well, there's not enough donors of color like applying to be donors. And I'm like, yeah, OK. I'm like, you know what? Let's let's run with your theory on this one. Why do you think that is? Why do you think maybe donors of color are not going to feel comfortable donating to your industry that has shown absolutely racist tendencies and also has a history of turning those donors away? Uh, But like. Why do you think that is? Why? Maybe it's because you haven't taken accountability for anything you've ever done. And also you still have all of those racist roots completely showing, as we can clearly see. No, it's 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 absurd. And I think, again, when you talk about intent and Mm -hmm. impact, right, they can say that they have good intentions, that they're trying to recruit people. Fine. But it's failing. And what is that message sending? Right. So let's say that you are an African-American woman who needs to use a sperm donor. 
Well, what is it telling you when we say there are no donors that look like you and we're saying that this is criteria based on who is who should procreate and who is the optimal outcome? When you're when people who look like you are disqualified as optimal outcomes, yeah. what are we then telling those parents? And that doesn't just apply to race. That applies to being LGBT, right? You can't donate if you've ever had sex with a man in the last five years or a man who's had sex with other men. So, hey, you know, LGBT people use a lot of fertility industry because that is very helpful when trying to make babies. I think them. it's like 60% of the revenue now in the United States yeah. is from the queer community. Like I, it's, I find it to be despicable that it's like the majority of the revenue yeah. is from the queer community, yet they discriminate from the queer community. Yeah, that's exactly. a- like horrific. We'd like your money, but you, we cannot give you any options that look like you because those are not optimal outcomes. And they end up using donors you- that are like really homophobic a lot of the times. I mean, we've yeah, had I mean, a lot of cases where, like, donors, like, find out their sperm went to, like, a queer couple and they're pissed as fuck. And it's, like, ass, and, it, and it's, it's, it's horrible. Beyond horrible. Yeah. And it's so disheartening. I can't imagine what that's like when you're, like, I just want to have a kid that looks like my wife yeah. who I am in love with. And I can't because her race her sexuality, maybe she has ADHD and has some neurodiversity. We're telling you that that wife you fell in love with is not an optimal outcome for the future generation. If that's not eugenics, I don't know what is. And if that's not ableist, I don't know what is. It's so heartbreaking. I feel horrible for the recipient parents. And obviously, like, I know the impact as, like, you know, for donor-conceived children, knowing that you are the product of this ableism eugenics program and it's it's a horrible feeling to have and what i also like i really and what gets me is they promote this they that's what their show is but what they end up doing medically to us is actually ending up making us more sick and they end up actually like causing us incredible medical problems so it's kind of like the fact that it's like you guys promote all this better baby shit, but you end up costing us our lives. Exactly. If, you're, if your real goal was optimal outcomes, then your goal is donor-conceived people that are happy and healthy and well-informed. Which and they yet, do not do because, I mean, that's because the reality is, um, you know, there is no... Like, let, let's go down this rabbit hole right now, because if if because the reality is there's no regulation in terms of what genetic testing you do. So it's up to the clinics uh, in general. And we do we absolutely know that there has been some some fudged stuff with when it comes to genetic testing, um, because the donors are not required because the clinics and cryobanks are not required to verify the medical history that a donor hands in. The donor can absolutely just lie and so what ends up happening is you get so many falsified donor profiles and so all these recipient parents and donor conceived children have a false medical history so these kids end up getting diagnosed way late with stuff that could have been diagnosed much sooner treated care plan in place therapy all set and good but instead they get diagnosed with epilepsy 
10 years after they should have. Uh, bipolar disorder, 10 years after they should have. Schizophrenia, way later than they should have. Um, a clotting disorder, way later than they should have. And it ends up putting the child's life at severe risk. Severe risk. And they end up suffering horribly even more. But I would say a lot of the advocates, what we fight for for the most is just full disclosure. I don't... Exactly. Stop yeah. turning away donors. Don't put your energy behind that. What we want is full disclosure. That's what we want. Because also at the, well, these donors are donating at like, what, 18, 19, 20 years old. So a lot of those things that you would be diagnosed for, you're never going to be diagnosed at 18 years old for. Those diagnoses yeah. come in later in life. So if you, if we have... Uh, open ID from birth. We have known donors from birth and we're able to have the consistent updates with medical history. That, that is what we need. It is ridiculous to expect that you are going to find a 100% perfectly, you know, uh, quote unquote, conventionally perfect donor. That just doesn't exist. That will never exist. What we, so what is much more reasonable, safer, and much more ethical is to have known donors from birth who can provide constant contact and offer open disclosure, full disclosure. That is actually how you can have a ethical industry and one that actually is going to provide the best care for all donor-conceived children. 100% agree. If what you cared about were the donor-conceived children, yeah. This should be a guideline of disclosure, not a guideline of exclusion. Oh, and perfect. Perfectly said. You, and as I've heard you say before, you're creating people who then would not qualify to be donors themselves. No. Because you're not giving them the history that you then require of your own donors. Like, I mean, I would let's de- pause and think about that, guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, donor conceived people. You the optimum outcome, but you can't donate because that'd be bad. Oh, how many donor conceived okay. people are not allowed to to donate? I I wouldn't be allowed to donate. I've been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder that I would probably would would qualify as severely impacts my daily my day to day life. Um, I also I have a, a I'm getting rid of a tumor on the on my pituitary gland. There are I have you know thyroid issues, um, but I still wouldn't be. But I also would not be allowed to be a, a donor because I have zero medical history. F- from my my donor. I was never given anything, not even a scrap of evidence. Why don't I have that medical history fertility industry? Why? That's saying it's very weird that the people you create do not qualify to be donors themselves. Exactly. And when you think about it too, let's say that you do have a donor who knows a lot about their family history. Because they they were like, I want to be good. I want to do this right when they go to donate. They call their mom. They call their dad. They call their grandma. They get all of that. They are more likely to be disqualified than the person who rolls out of bed, sees the advertisement on the bus stop, goes in to donate, and is like, I don't know any of this shit. So the people who are meaning better and have good intentions are more likely to be disqualified because they know more. Yes. And then let's say that you do donate. And, oh, no, you find out that you have seizures because they develop later in life. So you call the donor place and you let them know who's making that decision on what to do for updates. 
there's no medical update guidelines no. in these ASRM donor guidelines. There's nothing in here. Oh, uh, there, there's about, like a, it says that you should. It says that you should, but, it but there's say no about what. Well, and there's no and there's no regulation. And we have um, and if anybody has seen my very first episode of this podcast, knows that they are not required. And there's a very good chance they will not update, even with a fatal illness, as we discovered from uh, my egg donor that I interviewed, who was later in life diagnosed with sick sinus syndrome, has a pacemaker. What she has is absolutely genetic. She worked her ass off to update the cl- to update the cryobank. Uh, you can see full screenshots of all of it, and they never. And they at least never updated one of the families, which makes us very concerned that they never updated any of them. And I've talked to people who work at these banks. Like when I was in grad school, they had California Cryobank come in and talk to us about what they do. And I mean, one, they were talking about how they were just running around with pictures of celebrities being like, for male donors, is he more of a Ryan Gosling or is he more of a Tom Cruise? Like that's how they were deciding. All of these details. It was people polling the audience in the office, which, you know, great medical system. They are very official and scientific. But on top of that, they all make their own decision of what they call out. So if someone has 30 donor kids out there and they get a call that one of them has autism, it's up to that bank to be like, just be statistically normal. And then three kids come up with autism. It's up to them to decide when do you hit the threshold? telling the other families that's just depending on the staff at an office the same office they may have their own policies but this is something they're figuring out as they go yeah and this is something that they're deciding on their own it's not the families saying hey i care about this i really want to know more about that there's not asrm guidelines saying if it checks these three boxes you need to call families So we're just assuming that the random staff of these places has the training, the knowledge, and the same priorities as the families. Like, that's just nonsense. It's well, and they and they refuse to listen to donor conceived people because we are actively in the trenches trying to be like, this is what like if you actually are trying to help donor conceived people, you are spectacularly failing at it. So let's actually like tell you what we need and then they just go no we don't do that sorry that's not gonna be a thing and it's like how long is it gonna take for you all to catch up and I do think what's gonna end up happening um and I I, it's again it's it's already the 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 big snowball is already starting to form and you know pick up more snow as it it tumbles down the mountain is that as more and more people take commercial dna tests they're really finding out like what actually happened the lies that were on the donor profile and it's it's more and more cases are popping up and more and more people are like how the fuck do i sue this clinic how do i sue this cryobank and i do think what will end up happening is there will be a cryobank a clinic that does go bankrupt and that that is what's going to send a message to the other places to like pick your shit up. Um, what I keep begging and asking for is a clinic and cryobank to be like, step up, actively support donor conceived people. And I'm like, just profit wise, you will then be labeled as the ethical bank. You will be ahead of the curb. And in 10 years, you will 100 percent 
be the ones to win out. And the fact that every clinic and cryobank is like, no, the best thing to do is just never take accountability and keep sliding by as best we can is like that. It's just going to eat you all in the end. And how do you not understand investing in your future? And just doing the right ethical thing. But why would you listen to your product when it talks? Well, you know, hey, as as I always say, it sucks when the evidence talks. Yeah, I mean, but you're not wrong. Like, whoops, they babies who are very cute grow up to be loudmouthed adults. What do we do now? I'm annoying. Darn, you made me so I survived till adulthood, and now I'm back. Let's talk. Yeah. It's absurd. It is. It's just, it's just so absurd. And when you add in the history and the historical context yeah. of eugenics into these, and when you add in all of those Netflix specials people like to watch about all of these doctors replacing their own sperm because they think that they're God's gift to man, if that's not eugenics, I don't know what is. Yeah. They're like, oh no, but mine is better. I'm going to be better for the next generation. Let me just violate all of these families for my eugenic goals. Yeah. And we're like, oh no, no, that's just a bad apple. (laughs) Like, don't, don't, don't keep testing yourselves and proving that that's common. Don't read the guidelines that have eugenics all over them. Just, just look at the cute profiles online with their, their personality tests. There's a reason that the fertility industry attracts these kinds of doctors. It is because, yeah, the guidelines absolutely are, 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 you know, eugenics and it is an unregulated industry. So these doctors get to do whatever the fuck they want. I mean, again, so far only I believe it's like 17 percent of the population has taken a commercial DNA test. And we've already found 70 doctors who switched out the chosen sperm for their own. Like, that is a terrifying statistic. That is a terrifying statistic. And that act is only illegal in 11 states. I just, I cannot ever get over that. Like, I know yeah. that you've, you've probably processed that more than some because you shout about it all the time. But every time I hear that, I it just like, it's like a gut punch. Yeah. That even if we say that you all buy, that people buy into all of this, and they make the best of their situation. They could mm-hmm. still have a doctor who's like, ah, eh, but I want more white babies and switches out their sperm. Yeah. And you can't do anything about it. Yeah. I it's mean, like, well, you wanted a kid. You got a kid. Why aren't you thankful? It's just absurd. Well, and do you want to know what ASRM has said um, about the fertility fraud legislation? which would make it illegal for a doctor to switch out the chosen sperm for their own or the chosen donor DNA, however it... Um, So ASRM has not blocked the bill, um, but they are not supporting it. They're just sort of like remaining neutral at this point in time. And what they have said is, why regulate something that doesn't happen anymore? Oh. Which is like... So why have we outlawed slavery? (laughs) Like, why Mm -hmm. have we outlawed serial killing why have we outlawed shooting random people walking down the street like why do we outlaw bad things because they're bad and because they happened at some point there and like uh, sure let's assume it never happens you don't want to make sure that it doesn't happen again it's like 
Well, it's it's also like one. I want to know how do the hell do you know that it doesn't happen anymore? Because looking at all the evidence, I am willing to bet everything I own to say that it is absolutely still happening. Because all these doctors, lab techs, all they've ever watched is these seventy doctors get away with it, not go to jail, not lose their medical license. Um, they get supported tremendously by their community. It's the donor-conceived person and the recipient parents that end up getting shunned by their community. It's, well, it's just, if you cared, you would double-check. Yeah. You double-check for so many things in this process. Yeah. You can't double-check for that. And it's like, all... And it's not going to cost. The industry is about double checking. It's what it should be. Yeah. And it's it's also, it's not going to cost these clinics and cryobanks more. Like, I understand, like, even though it is ethically the right thing to do is put in a sibling cap. It is the ethical thing to do. But I understand why clinics and cryobanks are like, oh, God, that's going to cost us so much. I get that. Fertility fraud legislation is not going to cost you anything. There's no kind of tracking system. There's no extra test or anything that you're implementing. It's just making sure that you have Dr. McGrapey keep his shit in his own pants. Or at least give families the option to go after him. Yes. If he does it. I mean, I would argue that we should pass legislation and also put in checks and balances. Yes. And that would cost money. Oh, darn, you're making 800 bucks on a vial. Yeah. And it's not like there's no money in this industry. It's a multi-million dollar industry. Show me your CEO's paycheck and then tell me you don't have the money to check for just some basic stuff. Uh, I, I spoke to a donor once and I and I, I hope I got his I, I, I'm hoping I remember this co- uh, conversation correctly, but I believe he's so he donated for a couple of couple of years. And at the end of it, he said that he was like he made something in the forty thousand dollar territory. Um, but he's yeah. like, but he was found he was in contact with a couple of recipient parents and asked them, well, how much did you pay for the vials? And he said that he did the math and realized that the cryobank made a quarter of a million dollars off of him. And if you had just given a fraction of that, let's say we gave 20% to the donor, 20% to the cryobanks, you still have 60% left that can go towards overhead costs, checking to make sure things are done the right way. Like there's... You guys don't have that. Like, I know it takes money to run a cryobank because you have, like, obviously you have the doctors, the lab techs, the nurses, the receptionists, the custodials, they're yeah. the, um, just rent for the yeah. place. You have freezing costs, yeah. um, the equipment. Like, I understand, like, th- there's some money, but you don't have that much overhead. It's not that much to where we can't like go okay ceos you're not buying that second yacht because we're going to put in some actual safeguards that are going to actually be protecting recipient parents donor conceived people and donors but again like there are so many things in the medical industry that exist on the offhand chance that something bad happens yeah right like we have things that are like, yeah, you can't switch babies and take the wrong, like, we have all of these random checks that exist. Yeah. But when it comes to this, it's like, well, but that's not, that's not really the medical industry. That's its own thing. Yeah. That's, you know, it's, it's viewed as like, I almost want to say like a, a fun side project for the industry, but it's, it's people's lives. Yeah. It's, it's not. 
it, it is, we have to break it down. And I think, again, it, it really comes back to what we, we were talking about with eugenics is the infertility industry is an industry that profits off of making sentient human beings. Yeah. And this is the issue. And, and this is this is a problem, obviously, when it comes to capitalism is every business needs a product. What is the product? It is the babies. When yeah. your product is sentient human beings, we went we, we run into some problems um, because the whole model is how do we make as much profit as possible? And that means we're going to not have the safeguards in place to protect these sentient human beings and we're not we're not blenders we're not a water bottle and we're not phones we're sentient human beings we do require extra checks and balances than you would for you know a mouse pad you should be the most regulated part of the medical field, not yes. the least. Yeah, we should and by be regulated. I don't mean like you should tell families what they should and shouldn't do. No, but no, no, I understand. Safeguards, basic information, background checks. We're creating lives. Like that should be. And I think of anyone of any background, any religion, anyone should be able to agree to that. Yeah. And yet, it hasn't gone anywhere. Well, but uh, and as you're saying is, uh, uh, and and again, back to your point, where it is, this is an industry that is literally creating the next generations. The how this does not have like the ethics boards that we should have. In terms of regulating the fertility industry to ensure ethics, morality, making sure we are running this. As. I, I, I'm out of uh, adjectives right now, but running this as. As thoughtfully as th- thank as you possible? running it as yeah. thoughtfully as possible, because the impacts are so huge. They're so deep. This is it, it again. It's creating a generation. And so and the fact that it's all so loosey goosey and it's just like, yeah, it's up to whomever is just it's not well, right. And it's creating a generation. It's creating an industry on the backs of vulnerable populations, both yes. the recipients that are vulnerable to being taken advantage of because they need this, the donors who are very, very young, mm-hmm. the vast majority of the time, and so are vulnerable, and the donor conceived people that are at the mercy of this and yeah. have zero consent in the process. They did not ask to be born. It's all on the backs of vulnerable people. There's nobody in the equation that isn't vulnerable except the industry that's making money. Yeah. And yet we're like, oh, it's a it's fun side project. So we don't need to regulate it. Like these are just optional babies. No. no. Yeah. And you're telling the people being created, the families doing the creating, that they're not worthy of being in the next generation. They don't meet the criteria. You can't find someone who looks like you because you're not optimal. That is eugenics. It's it's horrible. Profitable eugenics on vulnerable people. That is what it is. Um, And that is, and the fact that they are 
just running as unchecked as they are is wrong. And it is why as citizens, as a society, we like this is why we need to bug our politicians to vote and fix this. Um, Because this is this will impact everybody. I know like, you know, like, well, I don't have a donor conceived child or I'm not or I'm not donor conceived. I'm like, I promise it will affect you. You have somebody, you know, somebody in your life. And it it will it it will affect everybody. Um, but Devin, we are coming down to the end of our episode. This has been so wonderful. Before we go, is there any final thoughts you would like to share? I guess my final thoughts would be: Look, there's a lot wrong with this industry. Yes, but there are still people having to try to work their way through the muck pit, trying to work their way through all of this. And I would just say, try to be as thoughtful as possible. Try to talk to donor-conceived people and learn from their actual lives and their opinions going into this. You're going in eyes wide open. But also go find people like genetic counselors and tell me what your priorities are. Be like, hey, I'm trying to figure out X, Y, and Z. Can you help? Let's not just assume that these guidelines are gospel. Pause, think, reflect try to do the best that we can in this industry and it's it's sad because you see people on facebook and other places trying to find donors other ways and i'm like Oof, yeah Look, that's so dangerous what to do there's a lot of pitfalls there oh i will tell Please you what not to do very, don't don't use the fuck, say not to. <laughs> don't 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 use the fucking facebook groups okay when we talk about lack of regulations the facebook group is it's pure lack of like there's no there's not a single safeguard in place and it is where all serial donors just go to play don't fucking use the facebook groups i know i have people in my comment section going like but you know there there's there's so many good people in the facebook groups i'm sure there are i'm sure there are good people but you have zero safeguards to protect people from some very serious predators that i know exist it is not safe and if those people who i know are in my comment section are like laura support the facebook groups absolutely fucking not you are showing that you do not support donor-conceived people. Donor-conceived people have come out in mass saying, don't use the goddamn Facebook groups. They are dangerous. And if you actually want to support donor-conceived people, you listen to donor-conceived people and you get this industry regulated. The Facebook groups are a lateral move at best. Don't, do not throw more kindling onto them. That is my PSA. I say one, listen to Laura, but two, if you're going to do it or you're going to use a known donor, please, for the love of your future child, Go find a genetic counselor to talk to, be an informed consumer, require medical history, medical records, require the things that the industry doesn't. So at least, you know, you tried your damn best. And and I'm all for I'm all for known donors and using a friend relative like that. I'm I'm totally all all on board for. You just have to do it legally. You have to hire a family lawyer from your state. Yes. Get a genetic counselor. Do the whole thing. Just don't use a stranger you found on the Internet. That is my only thing. Don't use a stranger that you found on the Internet. Friend or family member. And family member like of like. realizing that out of context what i mean by that is like you'll have the biological parent then you'll have the non-genetic parent see if you can find a family member of the non-genetic parent that's what a lot of people do they're like look i'm gonna use my brother-in-law yes in-law yes use your brother-in-law your sister-in-law your cousin-in-law absolutely um and devin where can 
consumers. Yes. And Devin, figure it out. Do not make this on a weekend fun decision. Don't pull out a bowl of popcorn and scroll through the Facebook or the donor profile. Yes. Use a lawyer. Talk to a doctor. Talk to people. This is a human. Spend time researching before you make one. This will literally be the building blocks for your child's body, and it will impact their entire life. You you got to look at it this way. This isn't about just you getting pregnant as quickly as possible. You have to remember that every decision you make right now will impact your child, and you have to look at it from that lens. I know it's not a fun lens, but it's what you got to do. Um, Picture your child asking you about all of these details. Yes. Do you want to tell them I picked a, I had a glass of wine and I went through Facebook, or do you? what do you want to tell them? Because they'll become an adult one day, and they may or may not judge you. Families are judgy, let's be honest. They are very judgy. Like, yeah. Devin, Family's family. where can people find you? Yeah, so to find a genetic counselor, I mean, the easiest way to find us in general is you literally Google find a genetic counselor, and it's findageneticcounselor.org is a website where you can find. You can sort by state, telehealth, in-person, prenatal, preconception, et cetera. For me, I work at a foundation called Genetic Support Foundation. It's a nonprofit. And our whole thing is that we're not biased. We do not take money from testing companies. We do not take money from industry. We are there just for the patients. And our motto is it starts with you, not with a test. It's about the person. It's not about the money or any of that stuff. Find us. I will talk to you about donor profiles. You can talk to my coworker, Jenny, who was donor conceived and was writing the blog post with me. Like, we're there to help you. Come find us or find the local one in your area. I love that. Well, thank you, Devin, and thank you to everybody who's listening. Uh, as we said before, the if you'd rather, if you're a visual learner like myself, remember this whole episode is on YouTube. Um, and uh, please like, subscribe, leave a, a review because all that shit matters. Tell your friend about this podcast and have a fantastic, amazing, wonderful day. Devin, thank you again for your time. And we wish you all an insemination good day. <laughs>